So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at Airbnb.com slash host. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This is kind of weird. What? It's going to be great. <laughs> Welcome. Can I get more? Right? You mean the weirdness of those, those two guys in the corner? No. Everyone. What? Else, Not just us. No, we're good. We're All right, not. let's go, kids. Here we go. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. My name is Questlove. Yeah. Shut up! Yeah. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove. Hope you are doing fine. We have uh, Fontiglo and, and Laia and, and Sugar Steve and Unpaid Bill. And our guest today is the Emmy-winning director in film. Why y'all looking at me like there's a... See, Fonte already knows what time it is. <laughs> Fonte, yeah. so nice to meet you. Yeah. Don't got the coat jam, yeah. but it's Lisa Lisa. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Glad we're not on Zoom. Yeah. Wop out of Lubop. Yeah. Wop and boom. Paid bill, yeah. And what the what? Yeah. Let's talk tutti frutti. Yeah. And take it in the butt. It's like, yeah. And I'm losing my mind. Yeah. I am everything. Yeah. Best music doc of my time. Roll My name is Lisa, yeah. and I can't yeah. rap, yeah. but I'm a director, yeah. and I'm going to tell you about some Little Richard. <laughs> I know why you left the rap label. Suprema, <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry, Amir. I was I didn't no, mean that. No, actually, I agree with you. It's one of the most important. Yo, no, for real, ladies and gentlemen, welcome <laughs> to another <laughs> Quest Love Supreme episode. All right, how how are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Yo, I, yo, I heard oh, we had a field trip. Yeah, I got to make good. a butt sex rhyme. I'm good. Hey, yo, man, nah, <laughs> shout yo, Unpaid Bill is doing some amazing shit. Listen, oh, man. come on. Listen. Straight up. Come yo, on. Yeah, no, straight up, man. Sorry, Lisa. Bill. First, you if, you, if you don't EGOT, you're definitely going to EGOT. All right. All right. Nah, dude. No, first, Jam Van, his show that's on YouTube, kids. Jam Van, Jam Van. It's my favorite kid's show since Yo Gabba Gabba. Yep. It is perfectly made for people that like to get high and watch television shows. <laughs> um, also it's, featuring it's, Fonte and Laia. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's killing it as the that. book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, you, yeah, I meant to give you props. Okay, you sounded great. This is about Bill. Nah, so, yeah. So, Jam Van is great. And then his show, And Juliet, which is on Broadway, we saw it last night at the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Yep. I'm not a musical person at all. At all. Like ever, I was worried. That was my first Broadway show. <laughs> that <laughs> was Fonte's first Broadway. That was my first show. Broadway show. Not my first play. I mean, but, I've been to play. I got culture and shit, but like, <laughs> I just ain't never been on Broadway. You've but, seen some Sunday plays. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Come on, I seen Mama done burn up the chicken, and <laughs> you know, you all too short the box with whatever. But right. nah, but no, uh, and Juliet, bro, we had a wonderful time, man. Great, great time. Uh, it was the music of Max Martin, so it's like all like the Backstreet Boys shit and Weekend and Britney, uh, Britney, Britney. By yeah, the time they got Katy Perry. I wanted that way, and the way they used it. Yeah, I was like, "Yo, that was that was fucking clever, man." Yeah, and the everybody, the Backstreet's back. Uh, that right. shit was funny. There's gonna be. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but um, but no, boy, man. Boys. Wait, the can boy. I ask a question though? Mm-hmm. When you hear Backstreet's back, mm-hmm. my prerogative. Oh, not even. <laughs> Damn, I didn't even get to that. <laughs> I was going to say, are there any other thoughts in your mind? When you hear Backstreet's back, nah. Okay, it's only me. Only because that song is literally the reason why Kel's got a guilty plea. Because you know his whole thing of saying that you know CGI or you know whatever, like that was fake me or whatever. But apparently, someone has TRL on. In the oh, other room. Oh, and that's how they knew. And it was, a Halloween, it was a Halloween episode. I guess that, that song debuted on, it's a, it's a Halloween yeah, theme video. Yeah, because they have on their costumes and the videos and stuff. Yeah, right. Like, and yeah. so I, I guess you can hear in the background, like, special Halloween is a world oh. premiere of Backstreet's Back. But no, 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 no. So it's almost like that's how every time I hear that song, yeah. I think like, wow, this is the song that finally... After years and years is what got Kel. I did not know that. That yeah. was a question, um, a deep dive. Yeah, that was, was. a deep dive. Yeah. Uh, I won't be thinking of that when I hear that song. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to keep doing my dance and think about that. I'll just be mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. But no, nah, man, like, great job, man. The Thank music, you. the yes. show, like, we had a wonderful time, man. I'm glad Seriously. you guys got to go. Appreciate it. It was amazing. Cool. And how was your experience last night? Fantastic. I went to see New York, New York, just opened on Broadway uh, with John Kander the- and Lynn Miranda, and it was wonderful. He's and- in it? No, he just wrote some additional lyrics. Okay, I got it. I got it. So fancy. Bro. I saw Vanessa Williams though, who I believe worked with our guest here, and yeah. that was quite a night. Vanessa L. Williams. Sure. Okay. The right stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that but Vanessa. I don't want to miss out. <laughs> yeah, and so, I got to rhyme about a butt, so I'm happy. It's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yo, our our guest today is a uh, Emmy winning director, film producer, and she was part of the team that. Brought us, uh, oh, Precious. Hmm. Wait, can I ask something? We ain't even finished the intro. Okay. 
Oh, how, how's life, Laia? No, I just oh, no. made that part her part. That's I was just messing with you. Go ahead. Ask your question, boy. It's your show. Whose idea was it to make, like, why it wasn't just simply called Precious and not Precious, a film adaptation? Based of Based on the novel by Push? Yes. That I, I asked. That was your yes. idea? Yes. Why, why was that? Precious was a character, but the source material was so important. And I wanted to make certain that that connection was there. And at the end of the day, Instead you, of can, like tele- like you can when shorten people... it. You right, can shorten it if you want. But I wanted people to connect to the book that, you know, back in the 90s on the subway going to Brooklyn, That's everybody read. was reading Push. So based on the novel by Push. At 30 Rock, that's always been like an inside joke where people will never say Precious. They'll be like, oh, you're talking about Precious uh, based on the novel by Push. And... Uh, by Sapphire, like literally, they'll give the whole biography or description of the book, and I was like, "Why do you guys keep saying that?" And I guess it's them, like, credit. Also, because if it was just going to be precious, I didn't think that gave enough. We worked on that film for so long to get Sapphire to give us the rights to right. option it, to develop it, to write the script, to have one director, to then have Lee step in, to have cast the main character, and four weeks before we're going to start shooting, Lee's like, we have the wrong person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, no, we have the right person because we're going to start shooting in four weeks. And then we went out and we found Gabby Sidibe. So it, there's such a deep, deep history. We worked on it forever. Also, she was she was the right person, but they were Wait was, a oh, minute, sorry. let me introduce our guest first. Wait, I pause for a second. 10 minutes of, okay. I, I know that. Anyway... <laughs> There's also the uh, the Apollo Theater documentary, uh, which she was part of that production team. She also directed uh, Remix Hip Hop Times Fashion. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, got it. And before her life in film, she was an exec at uh, Mercury and Def Jam. Very interesting story of how we're connected. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that her uh, newest film, uh, which I will go ahead and say an instant classic, and that's not... Questlove hyperbole or, or over-exaggeration, which, of course, I'm world famous for. But um, I will say that it is, it is an immensely... <laughs> what? Well, you just called yourself world famous for exaggerating, which was an exaggeration. <laughs> itself. I will say he that it's, it's, it's an immensely powerful and important film, especially where we are today in terms of erasure, in terms of understanding that all people are in a monolith that we're, we have different spectrums and different cultures and different aspects of our lives. And, you know, and basically the freedom, the fight for the freedom to be free. And I guess we at Questlove Supreme want to do everything in our power to amplify this very powerful documentary. Of course, I'm speaking of Little Richard, the well, the, the full title, because, of course, based on fil- novel box. <laughs> No, it's called Little Richard, I Am Everything. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, Lisa Cortez to you, sir. I just want to say, it's so good to see you all. I, I listen, but and I thought, these are my imaginary friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're real. We're there's, real now. there's no Very AI so. shit going on in no. here. Oh, no. no. This is in person. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. before I get to your story, I have to say that you are very, very, very key and instrumental in my career. I don't know. Do you remember a conversation that you had with Richard Nichols right when? So, uh, assuming that your years at Mercury, you were part of the 
Kenyatta Bell, Ed Eckstein. Dave Gossett. Yeah. Mm. Rejection yeah, yeah. bullshit demos. Yeah, right, 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 right. That's right. my favorite line. So do you remember the story of our the connection with the Roots and Mercury Records? Yeah. Like, all right. Well, one, I want to ask what happened the day after. So I've, I've told this story millions of times, but the shortest version is, we, you know, we, we started busking on the streets in 1992. Eventually, all of 1993, we start fishing for a deal, winds up into... I won't say a bidding war, but we damn near went to every label. And then at the last minute, Mercury was going to be that label. And then the way that I believe the story was when either Kenyatta Bell's assistant sent us the contracts because of our intricate spelling of our names. Three of the group members' names was misspelled. And our lawyer was like, well, instead of you guys uh, initialing it, tear this up and have them send back new contracts with your name spelled correctly. And Kenyatta Bell's assistant uh, was supposed to send new contracts the next day. And she forgot to do it, but not to worry. Look, I'll, I'll send it on Friday and then you guys will get it, you know, Monday and sign. But that Saturday and Sunday is when Wendy Goldstein decided to throw a hat in the ring. Now, we had no intentions on signing with Geffen Records because we're like, this rock label, they don't have a staff. We're good. and But we wanted the free dinner. Like, we liked the whole whining and dining, courting part of getting a record deal. So thus, you know, we, we did the steak and lobster thing, you know, with three to go and all that ghetto shit. And then just to mess with her, Rich and I decided to call her bruff, and we just literally, like, just started naming everything. Like, you know, we want, you know, Pathfinder and three apartments and da 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 Long story short, or longer, Sunday, our lawyer's like, uh, she agreed to everything you guys asked for and more. And then we were like, but we told Kenyatta Bell we're going to sign the Mercury Records. And, you know, the the price was way different because you know how much rap labels were paying back then. And Rich basically had to break the news to you guys. Kenyatta was severely depressed about this. And I believe he also spoke to you. He said... Lisa Cortez told us, hmm, Geffen Records, I hope y'all take racial sensitivity training That's over there. That's my yeah. girl. And yes. I was like, wait, what does that mean, Rich? And we found later out. found out <laughs> in the longest 20-year lesson of Ooh. our life. The and longest so, fuck around and found out ever. <laughs> literally. And so whenever the bullshit happens, we always used to joke, mm, Lisa Cortez told us this, this was going to happen. So... Do you know, like, what was the aftermath of that? Because, you know, we should have signed to that label. Like, you guys took us to the Legion. I think the Legion was shooting a Jingle Jangle. Jingle Jangle, thing. wow. Jingle I was Jangle, that, size of up every angle. Literally, wow. like, we went to the Jingle Jangle set. We met Drez and everything. We're like, oh, wow. shit, we're going to be stars. You know, and then, you know. Hey, come so, Wendy. So, I are. remember when you guys did a showcase for us. Yeah, at... S-A-R. Yes. Yeah. Like on 50-something-something. Yeah. Kind of proximity. Um, And it was fantastic. Right. I was the VP, and I had hired all those guys. Like Dave Gossett had gotten fired at Def Jam, and I was like, come over and work with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kenyatta came in. And I didn't know this thing about the spelling 
yeah. own stuff. See, that's the thing. When you give the keys to the car, to the mm-hmm. kids, like sometimes they don't tell you stuff. They don't that drive right. Well, you know, very... also our parents were naming us like a milk, you know. It's like <laughs> it's 40. It's 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 not, don't do that to uh-uh. No, but Malik <laughs> had like 12 names. Oh, so, damn. yeah. So, Sarik, Luke, Montrader, you know. <laughs> I I do remember though telling Kenyatta that because I you know I wanted to do the deal, and I wanted to support also my team because if somebody came to me and like Lisa we have to sign we have to, and they had so much passion they had a vision I saw you guys I knew the long tail mm-hmm. that uh, we could make an investment in, and when I heard. You know, and it's like I'm. I just I always blame it on the managers. I'm like, who's the manager? Who let this shit go down? <laughs> you but, gave it. You gave Richard Earful. <laughs> but but with grace, you know. I was born you did. in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> he said you did a very Claire Huxtable, like the very stern, hmm. motherfucker. Right. Uh, but but I love you. Bless you. And so, but I was just like, I I also as an executive saw different spaces. And I knew Wendy Goldstein had a great heart and she was there, but the ecosystem, the bigger ecosystem you were going into, uh, it was like, you know, when working for Ed Eckstein and the Ed story is really interesting how I, we connected, mm-hmm. but you know, he was the president, a black man was the president. He let all of us do our thing. You know, like I got a tape from Red Alert. It was the black sheep. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to sign them. It was a real janky tape too. But I was just like, I really like these kids from North Carolina. Let's do it. He was all I was like, I didn't know what? Sanford. I did not know that. I yeah, forgot. Yeah. Sanford. Yeah. I got a tape on a spoken word artist, Reggie Gaines. I was like, I want to do a spoken word record. He's like, sure. I would produce me, me also, right? Wait, didn't y'all no. sign Reggie Gaines? Now, me for me was RCA. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, we were, we were always kind and gentle. Okay. Um. So when all of this happened, I just was like, yes, they should be here. But more importantly, I'm a prayerful person. So I was like, I'm just praying that the right people besides the one A&R person who loves this group is going to come on board. Because I know how that happened. Like, I would love things and I could not get the rest of the, the company yeah. on board. And then, you know, like Buju, I worked with Buju for so many years, mm-hmm. from signing him to finally getting to Till Shiloh. And there was a lot of resistance. You know, when you're the sole A&R person in the woods going, they're the best, they're the greatest, come to the show, let's do this at, at retail, come on, let's get them on this tour. And everybody's going, um, you know, when's the new X record going to drop? It's, it's very disheartening. Were you, uh, did you sign uh, Ill Out Scratch as well? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. How did that come about? I think that might have been someone on my, might have been Bernadette Williams, who's my assistant, and then she became an A&R person. Um, you know, I did a record, a, a label deal with DJ Pooh, because I had known Pooh from, you know, back for, in my days before. And I think if we're going to Mercury, the most interesting thing, talking about Vanessa Williams, is when I was at Rush, I started a company there called Rush Producer Management, RPM. Mm-hmm. And I represented, um, you know, the Bomb Squad, Eric Vietnam Sadler, Larry Smith, Sam Sever, Jam Master J. And so the late, great Gary Harris. Ah, uh, Gary. 
I, you know, every conversation I ever had with Gary was always like, <laughs> I don't even know how to visually describe, but he'd just be like one of those cats that would always cover his mouth like, uh, like it's it's a, a casino. Like, oh, yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like the feds is watching him. So like, right, yeah. right, right. But he'd be like, yo, this kid named D'Angelo. Like, whatever. <laughs> Gary, Gary exactly. was part of the D'Angelo team at, at EMI, but he yeah. was at Mercury first. Well, he was friends with Ed. He never went there. So okay. Ed had wing records, and he had Tony, Tony, Tony. He had Vanessa. Um, they were trying to blow her up. And Gary said, Joe, you need to meet Cortez. She's working with all the hot hip-hop producers. So Hank Shockley, Bomb Squad, did a remix of The Right Stuff. Right. And then I Edward was in California. He would come to New York. You know, we'd take him to Nell's. We'd take him to The Fever, you know. And so I knew all the people out there, the yeah. producers. You know, I would sleep in the studio at Green Street. Oh, like wow. when we did Ice Cube's first album, The Bomb Squad. You were uh, there to witness that? that? Oh, yeah. What? Jesus H. What was Christ. that like? Yeah. I'm the hip-hop zealot. <laughs> Listen, black representation is essential. If I hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio, I wouldn't be in radio. Women like Robin Breeden, Candy Shannon, Michelle Wright, Deanna Williams. Women owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money 
for your next vacation while you're on vacation. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa, mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, you were born in Connecticut. Yes. All right, so what was your first musical memory? Okay, I was born in Connecticut, but I grew up between Connecticut and Harlem. So I always like to put that on the map because I'm, you know, I'm kind of like Green Acres. I'm like the city and the country. <laughs> I can tell already this is going to be my favorite interview of this whole entire <laughs> series. Like, oh, she just has the energy. Go ahead. First memory, I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you, please, because I'm busted. Ray Charles? Yes. Okay. Ingredients in a Recipe for Soul. My mother would play that. Like three times, and the house would be. She had these these records she would play to clean the house, and she'd be like, "I pay him three times, and the house will be clean." So that was one. And then Dinah Washington, This Bitter Earth, and then there'd be an occasional show tune. So I love musicals. Um, <laughs> Look at uh, that, Bill. I love musicals. <laughs> you know, I don't. Bill <laughs> <laughs> uh, said the man on his way to an ego. I mean, you know Wait, I mean? can I ask a question? Speaking of busted. Sure. Have you ever heard this uh, version of Ray Charles doing Busted and then someone walks on stage to sucker punch Ray because I what? guess Ray slept with this woman? No. Wow. Like literally, they're going, dun, 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 and he's going through the verse, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the band's, you know, like on television when they messed up, yeah. <laughs> like literally that moment, and someone's like, You a dog. You a motherfucking dog. And Ray's just like, bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> can, someone, can someone come and get this gentleman off? Fuck you, dog. Why'd you do that to her? You dog. You dirty, disgusting dog. And then some, then you hear like, dog, dog. And <laughs> someone, please come get him off me. <laughs> like, and my part was like, wait, why is the band letting Ray Charles get it, beat up? Like, that speaks more than... Yeah, because they knew. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, they, they, they girls, too. He already know. They knew. And so you hear them <laughs> dragging him off, like, fuck you, Rachel. What? And you hear him, like, <laughs> faint out the door. And then I'm like, bless his kind of heart. All right, two, three, and then... <laughs> dun, 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 and literally, you never heard of that? Never, never. Ah, that's, like, my favorite thing next to, like, Freddie Hubbard cursing out the band and Buddy In, like, Rich. Germany or something. Yeah. I, yeah. Like that one. I heard that All right, one. sorry. Side note. Well, you know, it's funny when you were... You were Vamping there, I think for a kid, right. Even though I didn't know the lyrics, I love the melody. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I always remember that so strongly um, as that musical memory and just how it motivated my mother to get the house together. You know what that's called? I learned that. I learned this this morning. She, okay, I'm doing the slide movie. It's called Counterpoint. Where oh damn, that Bill just literally came alive. Like, huh? Hello? <laughs> I know you have to get music nerdy. I like it. Yeah, counterpoint. I, I guess uh well Sly also took advantage of this well, where Ray has a gospel bass, but the melody is more like a nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, the, the the Reese's theory of mixing chocolate in your peanut butter and that sort of thing. So pe- sometimes people intentionally write songs 
where, you know, some super funk, like Sly will do something super funky with the drums and the bass, but the horns and the melody will be like, like play schoolyard shit mm-hmm. mixed with funk. And knowing that that's how you get the kids and the music heads together. So, yes. so wait, Sly, Counterpoint. Can, I, can I ask you a question? Yes. Did he sleep with Doris Day? All right, so that's one of the most asked questions of this thing. Um, I, so far, I, he's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, what? So far, I have four no's and two yeses, and the no's might have it. However, Dar's Day's son, who was like Sly's engineer during the "There's a Ride" going on, that's suspect. Was also his. Well, no, they Sly lived across the street from the Beverly Hillbillies' uh, house. Oh, this is when they went to Bel Air, but turned it real like hood. Dars gave Sly her BMW, and I guess that's how that rumor came. But Sly, every every interview, Sly sort of insinuating like, yeah, you know, Dars Day gave me this uh, BMW. So, you know, they're like, wait, are you dating Dars Day? I don't know. Am I dating Dars Day? What? So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, you know. Because, you know, I, que sera. Every, everybody, you know, I'd be in the beauty parlor with my mother, and people would be like, So, but the thing was, I looked in 73 and I was like, okay, so Sly's 29, Doris is 44, and I looked at her in in 73, and I'd be like, all right, that motherfucker hit. So, (laughs) (laughs) like, would you give anyone your BMW just for that? So, pillow talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, there's one person that can put their life on the fact that they believe they slept together but the rest of the band's like nah I think he was just lying right if you that's <laughs> and that was his uh, day after song yeah, if you want me to stay yeah. <laughs> that's never that from see I told you she knows how to rabbit hole just like the best mm-hmm. of us what was the first concert you went to Stevie Wonder opening for the Supremes Whew, I thought you wow. said the Rolling Stones cause I was like what were you doing there <laughs> They uh, couldn't find a babysitter. Okay. <laughs> oh, parent trip. Come on, come on. How old were you? I was like uh, four. Oh, man. Do you have memories of it or is it fake? Yes. Here's so, the best. It was me. at the bowl, the bowl in New Haven. It was, so it was outdoors. It was the summer. And um, Stevie kept, he did like 15 encores. Mm-hmm. And I just remember my mother going, you know, I really came to see Diana Ross and the Supremes. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I like this man. I, w- I like him. So, um, so your mom was just like, I was a little opening act kid. Yeah. Get out of here. She grew to love him. She grew to love him. And then I had a very memorable concert with the Jackson Five with my mother and father. And that famous memory is it was at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And um, my father, like all these screaming kids. And my father's like, that's when the Horn and Hearted Automated Restaurant was right. At, right across the street there. It wasn't, you know, the train station and all that. Right. And my father's like, I'll be in the Horn and Hearted having some tapioca pudding. Cause he didn't want to come? He, he couldn't take it. It was just like all these, you know, prepubescent girls screaming. It'd be like a parent today at a BTS concert. 100%. Like, I, I don't want to see that. So <laughs> let me, I'll be across the street the restaurant. Styles. Right, exactly. What did your parents do for starters? Uh, my mom was an aircraft engineer. Okay. And my dad, who's an immigrant, he's from Colombia, South America. Uh, he was a rebel, a radical, and a businessman in Cortez. Harlem. Cortez. Yeah. 
in my back of my mind, I was trying to, okay, let me figure out where, okay. So the whole Pacific Coast, Afro-Colombian. Are you fluent, Lisa? Do you speak Spanish? When I need to cuss somebody out. <laughs> when you need it. And, and, yes, and need where's it. the bathroom? I mean, I think those are the most important <laughs> language skills to have. Yes, yes. But Who not busting people. Because my favorite thing is when I've hung with people that people might think like, oh, they're black or some whatever, and they'll talk shit. And then right, and Right. And then you, you go... Uh, Un momentito. Right. Uh, and then they go, oh, oh shit. Right, exactly. I'm exactly. like, mm-hmm, we everywhere, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so when was, the, when was the moment that you were like, I want to get in the industry? Uh, nine years old. I convinced my mother to let me go to the Children's Theater Workshop, which was a dance school run by Miss Connie, and they put on mini musicals. I'm trying to get on your next show, Bill, okay? Oh, thank you. (laughs) And so we did Gypsy. So you can imagine, you know, from three-year-old kids to teenagers doing Once I Was a Schleppa, Now I'm Miss Mazeppa, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because Gypsy is a musical about a stripper. And I had been very It was? Wait, you want to be in that musical? I was in Gypsy. (laughs) I do it all the time. (laughs) Wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, like in, in my Stephen Sondheim, and it's the story of Gypsy Rose Lee and how her sister was going to be the star, and their mother pushed the sister forward, and then the sister ran off with one of the dancers because it takes place in the vaudeville time, and then Gypsy, they end up in a, a shitty show, and the mother's like, "You're going to be an exotic dancer," and Gypsy goes on to become one of the famous vaudeville strippers. It's about a fucked up time. stage mom. I was in this play in like fifth grade and didn't Why realize. Why are so many kids in these plays? I don't understand. Why well, are y'all doing this play as kids? At performing art, well, at my school, it was like from first grade to 12th grade. So mm-hmm. it was the older kids, but they found like roles for like the elementary kids to play in. So I didn't so realize. We did Showboat, yeah. we did Mame, we did Gypsy. Mame. Yeah. I was Vera Charles's assistant. Or, well, my sister played Vera Charles. And I had to, they made a role for me. Life was just a bowl of cherries. I did hair in high school. I was hood. Were you naked? Fuck no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then you didn't do hair. (laughs) Yeah. Nah. I mean, it was a very, uh, a very tamed down uh, Republican version of hair. But but I did it. You were here, you were bald. Yeah. Yeah, I I grew my hair out, but like they wouldn't let us do all the new, all that. We wasn't doing that shit. Y'all plays are fancy. So I found my voice. I went, my my mother said, get your grades up. Okay. I got my A's and I auditioned and discovered that I could sing. And then I loved movement and performance and connecting. Um, Fast forward the summer I was 14 when everybody rebels, I locked myself in my room and I just listened to Ella's Gershwin songbook, Cole Porter songbook. I just... Not heat wave, not... uh... Oh, of course. (laughs) Not Evelyn, Evelyn Champagne King. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, man. I mean, my father's playing Celia Cruz. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of music. And I also read the back of albums. And I was like, who is this mixer? I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I would bathe myself in music. You sound s- bath. You said rebelling. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, this is when, like, she discovers bad brains or sex pistols or the Ramones. <laughs> and I'm like, Gershwin, you, you, you're your peers. parents' dream. Yeah. <laughs> like, but your peers are like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I discover hip hop. What was your first hip hop record? I'd say it's it's Rapper's Delight. Okay. 
Yeah. How old were you when Rapper's Delight came out? I'm not, I don't, I don't yeah. talk about age. Oh, my bad. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. younger than springtime. Oh, <laughs> oh, younger than springtime. Younger than... I got it. Okay. So how do you nuance your way into, was Maroon era Def Jam your Def Jam or mm-hmm. black label Def Jam your Def no, Jam? No, I'm Maroon. I'm, I'm 1986. Tell me everything about it. Okay. It's, it's, I, this is one of my favorite. How do you get in the music business when you have no connections? So... I went to Yale, and when I was there, I had this incredible group of friends. One of them is a sister named uh, Lisa Jones, uh, yeah. Mary Baraka's daughter. Yeah. We were just these young, feisty kids, and we were working on a magazine that Lisa was putting together. She was part of that great crew at the Village Voice at that time, and she wanted to do a magazine called Diva de Kooning. I was into hip-hop, and I was like, I want to write about women in rap. So I talked to her Stepsister Dominique de Prima, you know, in the um, in the Bay. Mm-hmm. I talked to the sister um, Tequila Mockingbird, who was kind of in the punk scene in Los Angeles. And I really love this article. And a friend of mine who worked at Spencer Beck worked at Interview Magazine. And I told him about this article. And I was like, I'm really excited about because nobody knew there was women in rap. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you should go talk to Bill Adler. He is the publicist at Def Jam. So I just called and Bill said, come on in. So I'm just chatting with Bill. He's the most amazing, giving, knowledgeable person. And a guy across the room said, who did you talk to in LA? And I said, oh, Tequila Mockingbird. That guy was Lior Cohen. So two weeks later. <laughs> Who did you talk to in the, right, right. What are you doing right, here? Yeah, you what have to talk like him. Right, right. So Tequila shows up in New York. And I bring tequila to the office. Uh, I'm a good baker. I made this ginger cake. And I brought my resume. And we all hang out, body blah. You gave the tail ass off treatment. And Jimmy it. Spicer was the receptionist. What? But Jimmy Wait, Spicer what? never picked up the phone that with the different calls because he'd be chatting some woman up. So I didn't get the job. Wait, can you stop? This is the second time that we've heard the story of someone charming the Def Jam staff to nuance a job via pastries because you <laughs> also remember people. Kevin Lyles with his girl you know is true money every uh, morning yeah. at 6 a.m. would buy everyone orange juice and, and Lior was like impressed like this guy's clean up the office and buying us donuts and that's how he got oh wow a job. like Russell was like get away from me kid but pastries time out <laughs> Jimmy Spicer's dollar yeah, bill yeah, y'all dollar, dollar bill yeah. y'all dollar. what so I'm this kid. And, and he answered the phone like this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it when he does voices. Me too. So good. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I had to say that. No, no, no. It's, Rest it's, in peace, Jimmy Spice. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I keep trying to, you know, roll up in there and, you know, impress them. And, and you know, it, it was pretty chaotic, but it was also very small. Mm-hmm. There was not that many people there. And... I went to a Luther Vandross show. I conned my way into the party backstage because, you know, you just got, you got to get in. Mm-hmm. You, or actually, you just need to make a hole. You don't even fit in. You make a space. Mm-hmm. And I run into Lior, who was friends with Shep Gordon, who was um, wow. Luther's manager. That's right. our guy. And LL Cool J. Right. And I walk up to Lior and I go, Hey, you remember me? I gave you my resume on the good paper. It was like the heavy-weighted paper. It was cream-colored. That that mattered. And he said, well, you know what? I I actually need someone. I need an assistant. Call me. 
So I keep calling, calling, calling. And then I got him on the phone one day. And I said, he picked up because Jimmy Spicer was talking to some woman Mm -hmm. and did not pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. And I said to Lior, you know, I don't really know if, uh, you know, you'll like me or I'll like you, but I'll come and work for you for a half a day for free. And that half a day turned into five years. A lifetime. Oh, wow. So from 86 to... 91. Wow. Okay, so, so license deal is about to start to come out. Yep, I was there when original uh, concept is been there for. Yeah. Yep, and uh, I was there when we Nation moved to uh, two ninety eight Elizabeth Street. Right. When Chuck came in and met with uh, Mr. Bill, Bill Stephanie. Right. And um, uh, you know they signed the Public Enemy. What is Leo like then? Because the Leo we like know now is such a a big personality and oh he was he was he was. Big, yeah, big. and well, you know what? He so he was always that person, like well, the way that people imitate flower. Yeah, the way people imitate uh, Lauren Michaels at right, like Lauren that. and Leo are, are, are the two most imitated execs that I know, and, but they always have a sort of disapproving father and untouchable. They're quite, untouchable, like it feels like in ways, right? They sit in glass, like you can touch Lauren, but Leo and Lauren are in that way, kind of. I know softer than Leo now. Like Leo is like he's more very zen. benevolent. Right, ah, right, yeah, right. Okay. More he's benevolent. More zen. Okay. So it's that Bali effect from Russell. Let me ask you at the time because I know that it's hard. Like I'm such a history buff, but you know, I, I think people don't appreciate something until like time has passed. Like five years later or ten years later, you're like, wow, I was really part of the team that brought one of the biggest hip hop records, selling records to the world, like License to Ill or. You know, that sort of thing. But, like, for you, though, is, are you recognizing that history is being made on the spot? Or was it just like, man, eh, whatever? They became my family. Because the crazy thing is the first week I, my dad died when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And the first week that I went to work there, my mom died. Wow. Oh, no. And, you know, this small group, from Russell, Lior, Heidi Smith, Bill Adler, Simone, who was our receptionist, um, Bill Stephanie. They, you know, they took care of me. They loved me. I remember one day I got mugged and Eric B. and Rakim, they came to the office and they heard, like, I, had a, I was like, Lisa, why you got a black eye? I was like, ah, I Oh, lived, you got mugged. I got mugged. mugged. And oh, Lisa. Wow, you I li- lived in I li- real New York. Wow. I, lived in, I lived in the real deal. And they were like, well, if you'd like, we could find somebody who could get for you a nice little ladylike gun with a with a mother of pearl inlay. Ooh. I was like, uh, Harlem night style. That's very Eric B-ish. <laughs> I was like, that is on brand for Eric B. <laughs> that's what love looks like. Did you say yes? In a nice voice, too. <laughs> Pretty gun. A very Ooh. nerdy voice. <laughs> Like, nothing scares me more than nerdy thugs. <laughs> you know, that's rare. I just want to tell you, for as a woman, especially in hip-hop, it's rare to hear this level of feeling protected and loved and all of that. So I'm just well, I'm in it. I'm like, because I also fought for them. Okay. You know, people will tell you, we because this is right before everything blows up. I worked very closely with Lior putting together that Adidas deal because I actually wrote a letter to Fila because Houdini had a song called Do the Fila, and I wrote him a letter, and I was like, you guys need to do a deal with Houdini because they're speaking to this market. Because I was an American studies major. I like popular culture. I like seeing, you know, how we as black people start stuff that 
is then going to take over the world. But Field was like, oh, no, thank you. But so then when the Adidas time came, there was a lot that had to be translated about why this group was so important. And how much convincing did they need, though? They needed some. There, there was a guy named Angelo Anastasio who saw it, and he was the advocate for it. But, you know, he was communicating with people in Germany. They did, the music right. had not spread there yet. And what I learned in those days that still helps me now is about the power of community. To cross over this music, you know, we had Dave Funkenklein, who later came to work there, who was co- in Colorado playing this music, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. We had the car dealer, drug dealer in Houston who would play our records and bring our artists there. You know, we had um, Paul Oakenfeld and Pete Tong were with London Records, which put out Run DMC in the UK. The they, Paul Oakenfeld? Yes, and they were hip-hop heads. And they would, the first that stop. Paul yeah, Oakenfeld? Oki, yes. Wow. Okie dokie. Uh-huh. Damn, he never, most people... On the other side of the fence, will go like over time to like exp- explain their hip hop pedigree. Like we toured with Oakenfeld during the Area One tour and talked a lot. He never once gave up like hip hop pedigree and da 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 da. Really? Yeah. Damn, Paul. When, when what they the fuck? would come over, the first stop is they'd come to two ninety eight Elizabeth Street. Like it was great. You know, everybody would come through there. But and then when him and Pete Tong become these dance electro people, I was like, wow. Interesting. So there was this community, there was the people from Japan there, you know, who ultimately become a part of the groundswell of the music crossing over and the ripple effect culturally. So these, you know, I remember we went to London and I, you know, would make myself the European tour manager so I could get a little holiday. And you know, we they we got kicked out of a hotel and or people didn't the food they wanted and I would just like be like, no, you cannot treat these guys this way. So you loved them. I now. I love them mm-hmm. then. I love them now, because I recognized how ground. I didn't maybe knew what I was in, but I knew it was something exciting and groundbreaking and necessary and a part of how our narrative as Black people we were taking it to something new. Now how it was going to become, I didn't know that. I was young and dumb, but I knew in my heart that they had to be treasured and that it wasn't okay to be like, oh, the the rapper's there. No. Right. These are the artists. Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fonte Fontigolo. I hate to interrupt this beautiful discussion we had with the great Lisa Cortez, but listen, come back for part two. We will discuss her new documentary, Little Richard, I Am Everything, while also talking about her incredible contributions to music and film. We love this interview, and we hope you're enjoying it, too. It was a lot of fun. Oh, and also, in the meantime, go stream that new Little Richard doc available everywhere. It is a beautiful film. I think y'all will really like it. Appreciate y'all. All right? Peace. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com.